Yes, hello my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris, his name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, all of our shows are wonderful. Our viewers are wonderful, our listeners are wonderful for checking them out. This is my favorite. It gives us just enough time to review exactly what we wanted to from Sunday. You scrape the data, I go through the film, we do it all, we combine it to find out why what happened on Sunday transpired and how we can use that effectively to find breakouts moving forward. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I also go through the film. That's true. I try, I try to, I try to <laughs> at least, but all 22 right now is a complete disaster. It is, I mean, I can't even get started about NFL Game Pass right now. It's so bad. So we're, we're doing our best out here with our film takes. I uh, have deleted many, many of tweets mentioning NFL Game Pass and just left them in the drafts. Let them rip. Uh, Uh, A few things before we get started. One, thank you all for being here. You helped us surpass 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Hopefully we can look back on this one video, I don't know, two years from now when we have 50,000 and say, oh, we were, what minor goals we had, Hayden. But I will say this, all of you tuning in for the first time, 81% of you that check out our videos are not subscribed to YouTube. So change that. Like, subscribe, down below, we're giving you content and information that hopefully allows football to be more entertaining and allows you to win. And one more housekeeping thing before we get started with the good stuff. Best ball resurrection is here. If there we go, this is your time to get back in the mood to draft. I know all of you have been missing it. All those wonderful drafts that you had this summer, it's back. This starts in week 16, six goes through week 17. So again, week six to week 17, rest of season, best ball drafting. It's all about strategy. It's all about teams. It starts right now for the next two weeks to draft. Hayden, I know you had a hand in coming up with the projections for that as well. Based off the questions I'm seeing in the chat, I know some of you guys are already 0-3 in your regular drafts. It's time to get back into the best ball, make fantasy fun again. JTR, Francesco, Colton, Travis, Pablo. All you guys are 0-3. I know it. Don't try to kid yourselves. Get into the best ball streets. Win some money back. It's it's an awesome game theory play just because you're drafting now. Like You can go into the lobby right now, but you're not playing until week six. So if you think you can be ahead of the market on week four, week five outcomes, awesome. If you think that Chuba Hubbard is not that worth it because Christian McCaffrey is probably backed by CMC, Go for it, or you can fade them. Do the whole thing. There's so much game theory involved, so it, it's it's another layer on top of best ball. Um, that's really fun. Ten dollar entry, twenty thousand to first place, ten thousand to second, five thousand to third. Keep going down and down from there. You get a free ten dollars if you go and deposit for the first time on Underdog. Use the promo code the show, and again, you get a free entry into that. And as always. Check out Pick'em, check out Rivals on there, but go and play some Best Ball Resurrection. I know you need to scratch that itch, get that dopamine shot of finishing and wrapping up a draft, and we've got that for you in rest of season Best Ball. That is Best Ball Resurrection. Okay, we're four minutes into this. Hayden, time to pull up the fantasy usage model. Time to get to the good stuff. Again, where we go through film, we go through usage, you scrape the data, and we come out with some real truth, some actionable information here. We're going to go through running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Let's start at the running back position, and let's start with the name at the top of everyone's waiver wire. That is Chuba Hubbard. Christian McCaffrey, not 
on IR, but down for multiple weeks, we think, with a hamstring injury. So in steps, mid-round pick, Chuba Hubbard, again, at least we believe so. Hayden, we have seen this role be magnificent for fantasy football because Christian McCaffrey has missed games in the past. I mean, Mike Davis thrived in it for multiple weeks last year. I went back to watch every single snap for Chuba Hubbard this season. I know you did as well. What are your overall thoughts here? Well, step one, last week, Chuba Hubbard had probably like, what, 80% of the Christian McCaffrey role um, after, I mean, Royce Freeman mixed in a little bit, but it was Chuba Hubbard's role. And in that role, you can get wide or RB1 weeks from it. Even Chuba Hubbard had 16 expected fantasy points. So that's why he's in this discussion of like, how much should you be spending for, for your waiver budget? And like some people are throwing out like 50%, that type of stuff. So I get why that's the case. The problem right now is I don't think that Chuba Hubbard's very good. In fact, I thought that he was pretty bad. He dropped some passes. It's very clear that his body type is just not that of a Mike Davis that can handle and run through the tackles at, or run between the tackles at an NFL level. And there's even some things where he was running some more gap scheme stuff, something that he never did at Oklahoma State, and he just was not hitting the right hole. And I think that was an issue for me on tape. Now, with that said, I think Royce Freeman is probably going to mix in more than he did last week just because they just brought in Royce Freeman. With that said, I still think that Chuba Hubbard's going to get the first crack at this. And right. if he has any skills at all, he's going to be an RB2 just because the Panthers use the running backs like basically no other team in the NFL. You and I have a different perspective on this than a lot of people. I think a lot of people are projecting the Mike Davis success onto Chuba Hubbard. And when we look at these individuals, I don't think there's a defining trait in where he wins for Chuba Hubbard right, right now. And as much as people hate on Mike Davis – he does have defining traits. I mean, he has power to break tackles. He has soft hands in the passing game. As you alluded to, we saw two drops from Chuba Hubbard last week. Now, there was some slippery running. He had 11 carries for 52 yards, had three receptions for, for 27 receiving yards. But I also wouldn't be shocked if we are underestimating the role that Royce Freeman could have, too. Because I don't think that this is a clear, hey, the backup is going to be outstanding. We're going to talk about Alexander Madison in a little bit. And that's the case where that backup claims the backfield. Um, Royce Freeman has some skills. If Chuba is not efficient early in games, if he does drop some passes, then the veteran might get some of those opportunities as well. I don't think we can bestow 80%, 70% workload automatically here. That is the Christian McCaffrey workload on Chuba Hubbard. It might happen. And even if it doesn't, Hayden, it's worthy of selecting with your number one waiver priority. But I don't know if this is going to be a season shifting transaction like we have seen in the past. I had way more faith in Alexander Madison coming in and being an RB1 because we've seen it before. And this preseason when Chuba Hubbard was running with the ones when Christian McCaffrey wasn't out there, that was before Royce Freeman got in there. And that was before we saw NFL game tape where, I mean, just quite frankly, Chuba Hubbard was just not making the right decisions out there. And it's a new system for him, so that's not too surprising for me. Now, when it comes to waivers, the one thing that I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts, they've never really talked about this. If you're 0-3 and Chuba Hubbard's out there, go for it. 50%, yeah. whatever you need, you have to do it. You have no choice. You have to roll the dice because the upside is very evident. Now, if you are 3-0, and 2-1, and and you want to kind of save your budget for maybe a, a pickup in the playoffs – I think this is the perfect opportunity to let somebody else be aggressive. But you're, if you're 0-3, like, screw our film takes. You got to go. Yeah. Like, maybe an A.J. Dillon gets dropped and he becomes the lead back later on in the season. Like, there are some you know, 
possibilities later on where it might hit more value when it matters most to you as the situations that Hayden alluded to. I also wonder, there are like two things that can happen here for the Panthers too. They're the only team that has not trailed in the NFL for a single snap. We haven't seen them working in negative game scripts at all. So what happens to the offense when they do? And that's going to be much different without Christian McCaffrey in the lineup as it would be with Christian McCaffrey in the lineup. And let's say they continue to lead. Let's say the Panthers are continuing to be great. Well, what is a trickle down now without Christian McCaffrey? Do we get more Terrace Marshall and Dan Arnold, I should add? Do we get more Robbie Anderson as well? These are all questions that we don't have answers to. But again, this is not a top five offensive line either. They have some questions up front with trying to you know, figure out certain positions on a week in, week out basis. Um, it's, it's just not as clear cut as, oh, backups in. He's the new feature back. Let's roll with it. I don't think it's that simple. It's a good point. The Panthers not uh, trailing ever. Like that's that's why Robbie Anderson is not getting those targets. Like we'll see Robbie Anderson bounce back. He's going to be more bald. He's just running a lot of his routes near the sideline downfield. So I don't think that he is a drop. Maybe in like an eighteen, maybe in a ten team league. But I think for the most case, Robbie Anderson is going to be better without Christian McCaffrey, especially if they're trailing a little bit more. All right, let's now jump to the man who did step in for Dalvin Cook last week and immediately erased everyone's negative opinion that was based on a one-game sample. And now we get a one-game sample, Hayden, where Alexander Madison is a star. 26 carries for 112 yards, six receptions for 59 yards. I'm glad the community has moved on from that preconceived poor notion to now recognizing that, hey, if this Dalvin Cook injury persists, if it ever happens again, you should lock Alexander Madison into your lineup because it's the running game, it's the offense, and it's also in the receiving game. Hey. He actually led the NFL in screens with four of them this week, and this is basically the Dalvin Cook role. Like 90% Dalvin Cook, I think that's what Adam Levitan's calling him. I totally agree with that. Like Obviously, Dalvin Cook has way more juice, and he has like a higher chance of ripping off a 50-yard touchdown. But Alexander Mass can run between the tackles. He has the size profile that we're looking for. He has the, the high yards per carry over his entire career that we're looking for. And it was the perfect game script for him to go off. So big win for Alexander Madison. I think that he, he just in a tier above like the Chuba Hubbard types just because he has a bigger body. And um, I, I just think that he was probably a better player overall than Chuba Hubbard. Now Chuba Hubbard still can get to this Alexander Madison kind of workload um, if he can hold up. So that's like the, the big thing. I think that Alexander Madison should have been like Tony Pollard as an elite handcuff. And he just never was priced like that. We have clips on this very YouTube channel that point to Alexander Madison needing to be in the running back insurance territory of Tony Pollard. And Hayden, since we do have rest of season best ball moving forward, I do think it's worthwhile looking back at where Alexander Madison was drafted. I mean, he was going after Tyrell Williams. He was going after Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He was going after Ramondre Stevenson, Gabriel Davis. I can keep going on and on and on with some of these names. The standalone value week to week was not there. But in terms of if you're drafting to be correct, you are drafting Alexander Madison when you didn't draft Dalvin Cook. And yeah. so now when he went down, you have tentacles, you have roots in multiple top backs. And I'm just glad that we can all agree that Alexander Madison is the truth when he gets opportunities. And it's also just the offense that works too. Like the talent matches the scheme, it matches the system, and it equals, it equals success. Uh, let's talk about a back that was drafted right around the one-two turn. 
who has not hit his stride this year. Jonathan Taylor, 42 carries, 171 yards. That's it so far this year. Eight receptions, 70 yards. That's it. Zero touchdowns here for Jonathan Taylor. I believe it's showing that he is running back eight fantasy usage, and he's turning that into running back 33 status at the moment. Is there any optimism we can impart in the people out there that are drastically concerned where Jonathan Taylor is at right now? Not like round one, round two optimism. Now like RB12 overall optimism. I, I still think so. Jonathan Taylor, to me, he's not doing anything wrong. He's really failed at the goal line, but I think a lot of that was just on the offensive line. The problem with Jonathan Taylor is like, you're not getting rid of Naeem Hines. Like Naeem Hines made an awesome play at the flats. I'm not sure if you caught that on, on game pass, but, but the other reason is just the offensive line is just a complete disaster right now. The right tackles hurt. The left tackle, I watched it again, re- had a really tough time out there. And now all of a sudden, Quinton Nelson's out for a couple weeks here. So Jonathan Taylor is going to be all him. He's a, a first and second down only player. Not a good formula for an 0-3 Colts team. But I don't think that we should expect the Colts to be like one of the bottom five offenses the entire year. So I think better days are coming. Just not like – I don't think there's like top eight running back uh, weeks are coming. We'll say about the Colts. They're 0-3 and their season is done. I mean, they are six feet under. They cannot really make the playoffs coming back from this. It is historically, I know there's 17 games this year for each team, but it's basically impossible at this point. Now, even if he's good, and Jonathan Taylor has had some really strong runs. I mean, those first couple of drives against the Seahawks, you see explosive moments here and there for the Colts each and every week. The offense is awful. The success has been awful. And that just cripples a player in the role and the skill set, as you alluded to, with Jonathan Taylor, because... As you said, Naeem Hines isn't going anywhere. So, like, he, John Taylor's still creating these chunk runs, and the defense lets up. The passing game isn't there consistently. They aren't creating first downs on third downs. And so when you're trailing, Naeem Hines is instantly there. I mean, this tweet from J.J. Zacharyson sums it up, that the team on the opposite side of leading every single contest in terms of the Carolina Panthers is the Indianapolis Colts. They've run 166 plays while trailing this season. That's eight more than the next team. So the Colts have to win games, Hayden. It's this simple. Like the formula is this simple. The Colts have to win games in order for Jonathan Taylor to be a top 10 running back and they're 0-3, period. Yep. yep. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a game script dependent player. A very good one, but he still is game, game script dependent. Okay, I'll save you. Zach Moss. Let's talk about Zach Moss here. So we love pieces and we're going to get some more in a little bit on the Buffalo Bills. But we look in week two. <laughs> Up 21 to nothing, Zach Moss gets a touchdown run. Then the other, at 28 to nothing, Zach Moss gets a touchdown run. Both of those in the fourth quarter. Then we move on to week three, a receiving touchdown on a broken play that was vintage Josh Allen to create, and Zach Moss gets another touchdown. Three touchdowns in in two weeks, Hayden. So I know a lot of people probably drafted him, see him on their bench, scoring points. What can we latch on to here? Is it getting to a point where we should – suggest Zach Moss possibly in starting lineups with injuries at multiple positions right now. He's a tough one because the usage RB 14 in this two healthy weeks is, is promising and he's delivering on it with the RB six per game so far. I will say 50% of his touches have came in garbage time. Now, a lot of those garbage time touches also just kind of correlated where they were in the red zone at the same time. So it's a kind of tricky situation. Devin Singletary, I don't think is going anywhere. Devin Singletary, clearly the better passing down back. But it's just Zach Moss. Is he going to fall into the end zone a bunch of times because of the Bills offense? Possibly so. I don't see too much of changing between 
the 2020 bills and the 2021 bills because the bills are number one in neutral offensive pace, or uh, I think they're actually number one in pace and pass rate right now. And I don't think that Zach Moss is going to be an every week guy. I do think that he has a touchdown upside if you need a desperate flex play, but I would be very surprised if he's like an every week RB two. Yeah. Like in an ideal world, I would never have it like in my soul to start a Buffalo bills running back because we saw it happen in week one. He was inactive. And then in week three, I think he has more carries than Devin Singletary does in that contest. But again, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey, like getting exposure to a Buffalo Bills player who's one of the top five most bankable offenses in the NFL, it's it's not the worst outcome. Now, it's not the best outcome either, but it's not like the worst thing to fall back on just attaching yeah. yourself to one of the best offenses in the league. But, but the, it keeps going back and forth. Like they healthy scratched Zach Moss and Devin Singletary looked pretty good the first two weeks. And then last right. week, Devin Singletary didn't look as good as Zach Moss. So I don't think that this is like settled by any means, but it's you're at least attached to a good offense. All right. Again, a lot has changed from week one to week two to week three. And a big name who has seen his usage change in that time is Saquon Barkley, right underneath Zach Moss in your fantasy usage model, which you can find on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Hayden, when I go back and watch these games, there are a couple times when I like leap out of my seat, let out a yep. little noise that I don't know where that comes from. I had that again happen with Saquon Barkley. He's back. It was like a minute left. In the second quarter, he switches multiple gaps on the right side, bounces it. It's vintage Saquon Barkley. But Hayden, that was 16 attempts for 51 yards and a touchdown. Six receptions for 43 yards. Again, this is an 0-3 team. So while the individual talent, I think, is back with Saquon, the usage is back, what's the ceiling here? 16.6 expected half PPR points last week, also on 86% snaps, both season highs. I think that this is like the 2018 Saquon Barkley, 2019 Saquon Barkley. It's going to be all him. The offensive line still looks pretty bad, and the the Giants' offense still looks very inconsistent overall. But when you are as talented as he is, and he looked just as explosive as normal, and you having this much usage, it's going to be hard for him not to be a top 10 back. I just don't think that he can have like the last year Alvin Kamara season just because the offense will just never reach that potential. Yeah, there's so many pieces that are wrong with it. And I don't think that we were incorrect in saying like no area of that offense, like mask the deficiencies of others. But if there was one, it would be Saquon Barkley's talent of getting stuffed over and over and over again for short gains or short losses. And then his ability just to break off a big play. Cause I did see that talent back in. Him. Yes. I did see that explosiveness back in him with all that said, again, they are own three with Jason Garrett calling plays a quarterback that can't throw touchdown passes. Kenny Galladay is just banking money and not playing at a high level. And Southern Shepard now is injured. Hayden, you also throw in this schedule. Week four, the Saints. Week five, the Cowboys. Week six, the Rams. Week seven, the Panthers. And you have the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Bucks. I mean, that is a row of difficult opponents here for the New York Giants. So we have to I think bank on short yardage touchdowns, which you got from Saquon, and hopefully get one of those trunk gains of 20 to 30 or 40 yards and maybe some checkdowns. And that's what we're rolling with here with Saquon because I don't think that they can win one or two of these contests. Yeah, I think it'll be like RB6 usage and like the RB7 or RB8. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. <laughs> Damien Harris. Hayden. Damien Harris with the New England Patriots. It was looking great through week one and week two, and then in week three, at least my mentions were on fire. 
after a six attempt two reception game for Damian Harris. We've seen James White goes down. So this isn't just a Damian Harris conversation. It's a New England Patriots backfield conversation. What is your outlook for that backfield now and moving forward? When you were drafting Damian Harris as like the RB28 in best ball, you knew what you were getting. You were getting a positive game script player and one that you thought was attached to a good offensive line. Now, I think that's the one worry right now is the offensive line looks bad, but Trent Brown should be returning anytime soon. I think that's been the biggest weakness of their right tackle right now is not even getting his hands on some of these edge rushers. And I think that's going to change. And I also think that the James White stuff is very, very interesting because the Patriots were just running a bunch of draw and they were checking the ball down to him a ton. Somebody's got to get those touches. And I think that what the answer is going to be, it's going to be a little bit of combination to maybe a little more Damian Harris, uh, maybe a little more JJ Taylor. Maybe they get Ramondre Stevenson out there because I, I, I can tell you one thing. It's not Brandon Bolden. Brandon Bolden cannot play running back. That is a fact. I do think that the biggest winner right here is going to be like someone like Jacoby Myers, who he's going to be the guy that gets more of these check down stuff. And there's not going to be, a direct one-for-one one replacement because from James White. Because James White's just a much different player. If I was going to add somebody on the waivers, I think it would be J.J. Taylor over Ramondre Stevenson. I just don't think that Ramondre Stevenson does any of the things that James White does. And I don't think that – I think you're waiting for a Damian Harris injury if you're trying to pick up Ramondre. You talked about expectations when you drafted – Damien Harris. And I want to look at that from like a big picture view, then go back to like what we just saw this past weekend. First big picture view, you were getting the player that was going to own this backfield in carries. And that's what we have gotten so far. He is one of 12 names as again, our buddy JJ Zacharyson points out one of 12 names that have at least two thirds of their teams running back rushes through three weeks, through three games on some level. That's really all we can ask for here. Now, what, have the Patriots wanted to, wanted to be and like built their team to be this year. Hey, it's to be bullies. It's to have a top five offensive line, to have a good defense, and to be in positive game script. Well, their offensive line isn't playing nearly as well as they had hoped for. Like Michael Owenwu is really good. The rest is struggling, especially at right tackle, like you like you mentioned with Trent Brown out. Um, so when that's the case, and especially this past weekend. When it goes into extreme negative game script, that's when it goes in the tank. That's when it goes in the toilet. Like there was a sequence, and you know what I'm talking about. Like Matt gets blasted, throws a pick six. It was seven nothing with three minutes left in the first half. So they go down basically 14 nothing at halftime. Um, then on a fourth and one, Hunter Henry and Damian Harris have a false start. So instead of going for a touchdown, they get a field goal 14 to three. Then right after the half, Johnny Smith lets the ball get out of his hands, pick six, game over, 21 to three. The Patriots are not built for that script. Now, I think a lot of people, and especially in the chat, we're seeing this. Ramondre Stevenson equals Rex Burkhead. J.J. Taylor equals Rex Burkhead. Okay, J.J. Taylor was active for last game. Ramondre Stevenson was inactive. Think of that with J.J. Taylor because Brandon Bolden immediately came in and played over him in passing game situations. I don't know about you. I think Damian Harris is totally fine as a receiving back in terms of catching passes. It seems like there are some pass pro issues, which also has led to Ramondre Stevenson being inactive for a week because there are pass pro issues there as well. So I'm not sure how it unfolds here. Part of me also wonders, Hayden, if the Patriots are just better off right now without putting two tight ends out there in the field, just spreading it out 
and letting Mac get to his back foot and throw the pass because that's yeah. how they were better in, in hurry up situations. I think they're having a bit of an identity crisis right now. We're going to have to wait for our tight end discussion for, for that, but I, I am agreeing with you on that. Okay. It's it, again, we, I think we, and this might sound like a cop out to a lot of people out there. I think we nailed the Damian Harris role. Like truly, I think we nailed it. And Hayden, if I can be an optimist, you know, not negative Norse, positive Norse over here. If we if we look at their schedule here for the upcoming games, yes, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not going to be great. But then you have the Texans, Cowboys, Jets, Chargers. I mean, the Texans, Jets, and the Chargers are three rushing defenses that we we should exploit. We just have to get there. And it's not going to be pretty against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. I mean, he was the RB28. Like, what, what were you trying to expect? Like, RB10 numbers? Like, get out of here with all this stuff. Okay. People's expectations we'll are to, are way too high. Yeah, we'll move on. Well, that's what happens when people talk about him so much, and then he has a you know eight touch game, basically. But I, I would throw out that Patriots contest from last week and just out the out the window. Uh, let's talk about James Robinson, who was unusable for the first two weeks of the season, and Hayden. Then he goes into week three, and he's a star. Um, <laughs> he was an absolute star. Why? How? Well, number one, the Cardinals linebackers right now are so bad, and they invested a ton into that position. They have no idea what they were doing. Um, there's some there's some content out there that's kind of explaining why their run fits are so bad, so I highly suggest trying to find that. But James Robinson right now, number one in PFF's run grade. He's like number four in yards after contact per attempt, or like number six in elusiveness rating. He was making guys miss, and I think that the Jaguars went into last week trying to not be so dramatic with just like throwing the ball downfield. And that's why they gave James Robinson uh, a carry on first and 10 to open the first three of the four uh, drives in the first quarter. And then there was a couple of a play sequence where they went 75 yards down the field, eight plays, all runs. And most of it was just James Robinson, just trucking people. So I think we've already seen despite the Travis Etienne pick, despite not playing early on, James Robinson starting to win out. And I think that he's good enough. And I think that he's basically the same player as he was last year. Very efficient runner guy that is not going to make too many mistakes can play on all three downs. And I think that he's just going to end up being like a, a flex option. It's a bad offense. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is not going to throw the ball to him as much as they did last year. But I think that James Robinson's pretty good. And I think that he was a pretty good buy low last week. Yeah, I think what he saved himself from doing is is getting towards the the cut territory, which if the first two weeks continued, that was a trajectory oh, yeah. that he's on. Now, Hayden, I think a lot of the context that you brought up of where James Robinson was successful this past weekend is important because on those seven straight one runs that led to a touchdown, they were up 13 to 10. Yep. And that again put them up 19 to 10. We have not seen that positive game script usage from the Jaguars so far this season. And my question is, how often are we going to see it this season? Because the offensive line isn't great, and the defense is probably the worst unit in the NFL. So I guess I question, because even in neutral situations, start-of-game scenarios, Jacksonville hasn't used James Robinson like this. Like, could this open their eyes, and they might realize this is one area, one facet to keep you know games close? Or was this just opponent-related in week three? I'm kind of leaning towards the latter here. I think it is 
kind of a, a opponent related, but I also think that the Jaguars would not want to be a, in a situation where Trevor Lawrence can throw the ball 55 times and have an eight out of 12 and just be prairie yarding the entire season. So I think that th- they were like saying, F it, we are going to give James Robinson the ball in the first half here and try to win like that. And I think that he's good enough to do some stuff with that. I will say that Carlos Hyde is kind of running pretty well. Like I'm, I'm okay to admit that he's actually running people over. So I don't think that it's going to be a, like an 80% snap count like it was last year. I think he's just enough where if you're desperate for a flex option, I think that you can get James Robinson a little more comfortable in that. Just pick your spots. You have to have the Jaguars in like relatively close games. Carlos Hyde, Emmanuel Sanders, AJ Green, the target audience for us this year is the retirement home. Hey, we're, yeah. we're going there quickly. Uh, let's talk about Clyde Edwards Elaire, who was another name that was miserable for the, through the first two weeks, finished right around as a top of a third round selection. Hayden, it was awesome in, in week three. And a lot of it was usage based because, as we pointed out, the Chargers were giving up over 160 rushing yards per contest this season. But they used him in in spots where he wins. Like it was lots of inside runs. He was able to switch gaps. It was lots of covering up the football because he still fumbled again. And then picking up some hidden yardage. It was nothing spectacular. I don't know how many weeks we're going to have, you know, great opponents where it makes CEH talk. Chalk, excuse me. But it's a positive. There's no negatives we can take from this contest. So at least, you know, there's some optimism here. I've got one negative. Through three weeks, they've thrown him five targets and only two screens. Like, that is not going to cut it. So, I think that this was enough to keep him on that RB2-3 border. And, like, there was a second. Like, if he struggled here, like, he was just going to go straight to the bench. I do think that he's going to be a borderline top 24 option. But if he's not getting the targets, he's going to be very uh, dependent on touchdowns. And I think that's an okay thing in the Chiefs offense. But they're mixing the other guys in. And he still ultimately has RB32 usage through the th- first three weeks. I think a lot of that is just because uh, they're not trying to get him into the screen game at all. It's just like all targets of Tyreek and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, it's 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 somewhat shocking. Not that like Patrick Holmes wants to throw the football to Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, but that CH was so good in those receiving areas in college, like running option routes, running choice routes, running angle routes and setting records there. And then last year at 36 receptions, we might not hit 36 receptions this yeah. year from him. It's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Okay. Uh, let's close out this running back discussion with Sony Michelle. Uh, Sony Michelle stepped in for Daryl Henderson last week, Daryl Henderson, who had proven to be a really strong early season fantasy selection because he was attached to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, now we didn't expect Sony Michelle to do a lot against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have, now been great against the run, but Hayden, he got 20 carries for 67 yards. I believe three receptions for, for 12 yards, tons of broken tackles. And he did well in pass protection. I mentioned to you that I thought this was like more of a, a role situation than a player situation. And if we get Sonny Michelle starting, Sonny Michelle is going to put up points. Could you explain what this role versus player situation means just a little, a little more? Cause I think I agree with you. I just want to flush it out. Well, I think a lot of people have a bias towards believing that Daryl Henderson is a really talented football player. I've never been there with that. And so when I have seen him create fantasy points or positive plays, a lot of it is the blocking. A lot of it is Sean McVay creating space. 
and him picking up the yards that are blocked for him and not necessarily creating on his own. And it was never anything that I thought another back couldn't do. Right. And so Sony Michelle can do those exact same things that Daryl Henderson was doing. Yep, totally agree with you. Um, I, I would say that Daryl Henderson is a very chaotic runner. If you look at just some of the metrics on how often they hit the designed holes, Daryl Henderson's always at the bottom of that list. If you watch him, he kind of just running all over the place. Sony Michelle, on the other hand, is a very experienced runner, and he's just hitting the hole and just moving forward. And I think that he has a little more burst last year and this year than he had a couple seasons ago when he was just getting the uh, the rock way too much. I do think last week, 74% snaps, 14.6 expected fantasy points. If Daryl Henderson's out again, I think you can start Sonny Michelle. The matchup's going to be way easier. They're probably going to have a lead, and they're going to feed Sonny Michelle. He's going to be like an RB2. If Daryl Henderson returns, I think this will be a committee. I think the the days of Daryl Henderson having 80 90% snap rates, I think those are over for two reasons. One, Sonny Michelle, like you said, I think looks good on tape. And number two, they traded for Sonny Michelle because – there was a longevity issue for a durability issue for Daryl Henderson. And immediately they were proven right. So I think that Daryl Henderson, if you can get something like, like a, a top 15, top 20 running back, I would do that. I think it's going to be a one, two committee. And I think it's going to be a toss up of who ends up winning out um, down the stretch. Yeah. And we talked about the Patriots having some pass protection issues. Uh, well, they elected to trade away. So Michelle who had the pass pro block of the year. I mean, cutting across the formation to pick yep. up a blitzer in front of Matthew Stafford and allowing him to hit these passes down the field. We forget about all these. It's Ezekiel Elliott and what he does with Dak Prescott. Now it's Sony Michelle doing it for Matthew Stafford. These open up these downfield throws. And you know when Sean McVay, when he got fired up on the sideline, when he goes back and watches this on tape, oh, he's yeah. going to earn more snaps for Sony Michelle. 100%. 100% it is. It is a tough scene for the people that on Twitter saying these players are dust. I mean, James Conner looks better. Sony Michelle was completely written off. He looks better. Like AJ Green looks better. Like all these people that everyone completely writes off. When teams give them a little money, they're trading for these guys. Maybe we should pay attention. Maybe the NFL guys have a little bit more uh, insight than us on Twitter. Just maybe. Maybe they know more than you and I. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit more. Um, let's shift on over to uh, wide receivers. And before we get there, again, all of you who are here, Lyndon, Chase, Dustin, Colton, JJ, all of you, thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. All of you checking us out after our live show. Again, I'll reiterate, 81% of you that tune into our content are not subscribed. What the hell are you doing? You like our content. You watch it. Leave us a damn like. Subscribe down below. Hit the little bell and be notified when we make stuff. It's fun. I'm having a blast. I think Hayden is too hanging out with me. And we enjoy the community and the content that we're building right now. Okay. Let's jump to wide receivers, Hayden. Let's stick with those Los Angeles Rams. Let's start with Cooper Cup versus Robert Woods. I mean, Cooper Cup is the wide receiver one in fantasy football right now. Uh, 33 targets, 25 receptions, 367 yards, and five touchdowns. Compare that to Robert Woods, who just has 19 targets, 11 receptions, 124 yards, and one touchdown. Hayden, same offense, big differences. What gives? Honestly, I have no idea. Like, Robert Woods has a 20% target share. Cooper Cup, 35%. We've never seen this before. To me, like you said last week, Cooper Cup looks awesome. Like, 
And it's just like all over the field. And I think that Matthew Stafford is allowing him to win downfield in ways that we haven't seen before. And I thought that Cooper Cup right now just looks really, really dominant on tape. Now, with that said, I, I just still do – I refuse to believe that the Rams offense is going to be this good, a top five offense, and then Robert Woods is just not going to do anything this year. Like that – like there's just no way that happens. He still has the routes out there. He still looks fine to me. Um, they're still giving him some uh, screens and that type of thing. I think eventually Robert Woods is going to get cooking over the middle, um, but I can't explain it through three weeks. Like there's nothing on the film to me that would suggest why Cooper Cup would just all of a sudden be Calvin Johnson out there. I think it's just because Cooper Cup has gone superhuman this this season. He has. Like, he really has. That's the difference. And like, why go away from him in these situations? when he's making things happen in tight space where he's creating routes that we've never seen before that are like triple moves that the offensive line gives Matthew Stafford time inside the 10 yard line and he's finding it and then diving into the pylon. Like, I'm not so sure if Robert Woods is doing anything wrong this year, just Robert Woods isn't Cooper cup. And like, that's, that's the biggest difference so far. I totally agree with you. As we have seen, we're going to see Deshaun Jackson weeks. We're going to see Tyler Higby weeks. We saw Van Jefferson week and week one. There's going to be Robert Woods significant outputs at some point this year. But what we know is Cooper Cup is locked in as a top 10 wide receiver for the rest of the season. And it's amazing. He's he's recreating himself in a lot of ways, Hayden. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane to watch this. It, this does feel very small sample-y. Um, so I wouldn't go too crazy with Robert Woods or Cooper Cup takes. I just think like this offense, it's not too soon to get super, super, super optimistic um, with this offense in general. I, I think that I still think that Robert Woods is a buy low for like no other reason. There's nothing about the stats. There's nothing about his usage that's telling me he's a buy low outside of just like this feels still like a, a buy low opportunity for Robert Woods. Yeah, and obviously Sean McVay loves to put like multiple wide receivers on one side of the field and really confuse defensive backs there. I do want to freeze here because look as soon as where Matthew Stafford is throwing this football I mean Robert Woods hasn't made his break yet there are is a triangle of defenders he has to fit this against and it's a perfect ball into Robert Woods into that little area the difference and I can't believe people question this the difference that Matthew Stafford is making in this offense it makes them a top three team and I understand they had production in the past, but it's so different now that every single blade of grass, every single player on the field is accessible on every single play. Hayden, it, it, it's taking it to the yeah. limits and it's so much fun to watch on a weekly basis. Okay. There's one duo. Let's talk about another duo. Both are thriving in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. We've seen Keenan Allen, you know, create sliver of spaces in the slot Mike Williams win in ISO ball situations on the outside. And you have the best arm among young quarterbacks in the NFL and Justin Herbert with the confidence against pressure in clean situations to make tight window throws in both phases. And Hayden, that's why this trio is locked in for the rest of the season. Top 10 wide receivers. And I think just six in neutral pace, six in neutral or fifth in neutral pass rate. Both players are good. The quarterback's good. The offensive line is improved. Like, Brandon Staley's being super aggressive in fourth down situations. Like literally why would this stop, stop happening? Like Mike Williams is running super hot, like way hotter than we can, we can expect over the entire season. But I think that top 10 wide receiver usage for both of these guys is very sustainable just because the chargers are like, not like the bills, but they're close to the bills 
and that heavy into passes. And unlike the Bills, the Chargers go too deep at wide receiver. Like Jalen Guyton, kind of whatever. They're not getting Josh Palmer involved. It's just these two guys. So I think lock them in top 10 wide receivers and we can just kind of move on. But Justin Herbert has like such an arm that he allows for Jared Cook, Donald Parham, Jalen Guyton to like make plays too because he can fit passes into difficult windows. And by the way, for his entire career, Mike Williams was viewed as like a jump ball specialist. Again, let's show this route as a dog barks outside my window in Brooklyn. I mean, he's shifty. He's making cornerbacks fall down on the outside and then winning over the top. I will keep saying it. Incredible call by you this summer. And it just makes sense. And this is something for us to, to keep in mind, again, drafting for rest of season best ball and in future drafts and future summers, that like when we love a quarterback like Justin Herbert and we love his slot receiver in Keenan Allen, if there's a primary outside receiver with talent and first round pedigree, we probably want that player too. And because Hayden, at, like at worst, he was going to be where he was being drafted, like wide receiver 40. Then there was that upside to be up there among top 12 wide receivers. And we're already getting that through three weeks. The ultimate heat check for me right now is, is this right here. It's the Allen Robinson. I was all over Allen Robinson. So I say let's – there's so many comments about Allen Robinson. I say we just like kind of pivot to him. Okay. Real quick. Um, the first thing is it's his usage is way, way, way different. And this chart is showing where he's being targeted. And historically, he's been one of the best intermediate uh, wide receivers in the game. And that's why he's targeted – in the middle of the field this year, 90% of his targets are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And there was one play from Justin Fields last week where it's just down the sideline, like it was just like kind of a prayer yard throw. This has to change. If, if Allen Robinson is going to turn things around, he has to be an intermediate guy. He cannot just be this dump off guy. And then the next thing he needs is he needs the offensive line to look a little bit better or else Justin Fields has no chance. So I just finished the Justin Fields game. I'll let you talk about it first. What was your, like your big impressions uh, with the rookie? I'm saving that game. I, I haven't watched. I did watch it live. Okay. Um, I thought the game plan was absolute shit, and that Matt Nagy doesn't believe and trust in his offensive line against the talents like we talked about on the Browns defense. And his game plan, instead of moving the pocket or trying to manufacture receptions or manufacture space or use his quarterback's athleticism is instead he wanted him to get rid of the football as quickly as possible. We saw that in week one with the Bears where Allen Robinson wasn't targeted at all down the field beyond 10 yards. And Andy Dalton and Justin Fields are drastically different quarterbacks, yet the game plan seemed pretty much the same. And to me, that's just awful coaching. Like, it's not putting them in a position to succeed at all. Did you disagree? Uh, Not really. I think that this was a player issue as much as it was a, a, I agree a with coaching that too. issue I, too. I said the same thing on Sunday. And it's, it wasn't just Justin Fields. I went through – I have notes on all of the sacks. About half of them were Justin Fields' problems where he was holding on to the ball way too long. Now, this was a problem that some people had with his tape in college. I think that he, they have to keep him out there because he has to learn how to do these things. And he has plenty of the arm strength to fire these tight windows in. There was a couple of plays like there's like an RPO where there was a, a player running right down the middle of the field. He would have to fit it over the linebacker and beneath the safety – and he just holds on to the ball and sack. Like, that's a throw. Justin Fields, you have way too much talent not to let that rip. The biggest issue, though, um, I haven't seen the all 22. I don't think the wide receivers were winning out in space. And I think that's kind of, it's just kind of Allen Robinson out there. Like, Darnell Mooney, as a role player, and the wide receiver three is not doing anything. Cole Komet's not doing anything. But the real issue was Jason Peters was getting cooked. I mean, beyond cooked. 
and the right tackle was getting cooked. Like there was, it was Miles Garrett just beating him off the edge over and over and over again. And there was like literally nothing Justin Fields could do with that. Yeah. I mean, it's 39 year old Jason Pierce, who's had major injuries and Jermaine Effetti at right tackle who couldn't even, you know, be a starter on the Seattle Seahawks. I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I don't think we should gloss over glaring flaws in Justin Fields game right now, but I think in a lot of other teams, Hayden, he does have that wild card of his mobility that could be successful on, on other teams. It just, it, it wasn't here and it wasn't utilized correctly. And Again, when we all loved Justin Fields coming out of Ohio State, it was because he was an incredible downfield passer. Yeah. How many attempts did we see down the field? And part of them holding the football long enough is because he wants his receiver to get open down the field so he can throw it on complete ropes there yeah. as well. He he does lack anticipation, awareness of like where, you know, the penetration is going to come from pre-snap. But then at the same time, when the Browns have, you know, four players along their defensive line, safety's playing linebacker, like this was just a super, super wall to meet yep. in your first start in the NFL. The, the last thing, I need to wait for the All-22 to be super confident in this, but Denzel Ward seemed like he was all over Allen Robinson, and I don't think that any of the other Bears receivers could beat the rest of those guys. And I think that he was kind of waiting for Allen Robinson to get more open, but Denzel Ward, I think – is like reaching that echelon of, of cornerbacks where he can erase your number one, just one-on-one. -on -one. And he actually even uh, busted up Jason, Jason Peters on a play too, where Jason Peters couldn't even block Denzel Ward. It was, it was a complete uh, disaster up front. So I think that bear, I think Justin Fields can bounce back from this. I think that they have to figure out the left tackle issue. Um, but there was nothing you, about, you can't on the fly. They can't figure out their left tackle issue on the fly. Yeah, maybe a little more chip, chipping, boot, little bootlegs. There was a couple times where they would bootleg him back to that side, and then he would just get crushed. So, like, maybe bootleg him back towards the right a little bit away from the left tackle. But the right tackle is not much better than Jason Peters either. So, it's it's tough. Every single piece of it was at fault is, is yeah. what we're saying here. Um, by the way, you and I talked a lot about Offensive Rookie of the Year odds heading into the year. How many quarterbacks have – positive vibes going on with their chances this season. Hey, this could, this could be Jamar chase winning it like a non quarterback winning it. If it continues this way, Trey Sermon's second half of the season, you heard it here first. <laughs> Najee Harris gets 19 targets every week. Maybe him somehow. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the bears end of that. Let's talk about the Browns end of this equation. Cause we welcomed one of our favorite players back in the NFL this weekend, Odell Beckham. And immediately Hayden, he saw two targets in like the first three plays of of this contest as you see wide receiver 17 fantasy usage that he turned into wide receiver 35 i'll throw in there's a pass interference call that he picked up on the way hayden while we talked about saquon being back i feel like odell's back as well odell did look back and i knew he looked back because there's a couple of things there was an end around that they gave him you don't give odell an end around his first game back of his acl surgery unless you're the brands are very confident that odell is ready for it. He had that pass interference where he won at the line of scrimmage and won with burst down the end. And the, the, the corner just had to hold on for dear life. And then there was a nice back shoulder toss to Odell Beckham too. So nine targets, 149 air yards. None of the other Browns receivers right now are any good in my opinion. And they're using two wide or two tight ends on a lot of the plays. So to me, Odell Beckham's in a perfect spot for fantasy success. I know it's a run first game, but it's a very efficient passing attack. And right now it's like Ninjoku and 
Austin Hooper and like Donovan Peoples Jones out in the route. If you're Baker Mayfield, which one of those guys are you throwing the ball to? It's to, it's to Odell Beckham. And to me, the explosion like looked just as good as it did three, four, five years ago. I we just talked about the poor coaching that the Bears received on Sunday. I thought Kevin Stefanski and the Browns were super smart with Odell because I think you noticed this early on. They put him in the slot, just asked yep. him to run some slants and got him some easier receptions. And then as the game went along, it was time to go to him on the outside. And it was like 17 yard comebacks. It was back shoulder throws. It was creating separation, especially on those comebacks. And they just had 31 passing attempts this past week. And we know the Browns don't want to cross 35 passing attempts each and every week. Um, We also know the Browns live on the big plays. They're not viewed by it, but like Nick Chubb, great on 20 plus yard carries. Same thing with Kareem Hunt, which we saw in the passing game and the running game this past weekend. Who was going to create big plays in that passing game, in the receiving game? Odell is the only name out there. You know, yep. that gives me a lot of life, gives me a lot of hope that we're going to see Odell featured in a lot of these different alignments. Because, like you mentioned, he is the only receiver that you can toy with, that you can play around with and put in positions to win. And I guarantee we're going to see a slant to the house, a big sideline shot here in the next couple of weeks, because while it was slow, Early on, while it looked like he was concerned and then Safansky was concerned about his injury, if all is smooth sailing from here on out, I, I think we have one of the most explosive receivers back in the NFL, for sure. I haven't looked at matchups, but like Odell Beckham DFS next week, like lock it in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, let's talk about Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman on the Indianapolis Colts, another 0-3 team, as we talked about with Jonathan Taylor, also the only receiver on his team. But Hayden, it's, uh, it's attached to a declining offensive line, a quarterback with lead feet who's in boots in both those feet. But we're seeing Michael Pittman emerge as this ex wide receiver for multiple alignments and having to win in ISO situations. Yep. And they're giving him touches all over the place. And he won against zone coverage last week. And there was a couple of players where he won in man coverage this week. And you're going to have to live with some of the inconsistencies from this offense. And to me last week, Michael Pittman should have had a monster game. He went on the skinny post and then Carson Wentz just sailed it in the end zone. And that would have been an easy touchdown for Michael Pittman. So I think that everything about Michael Pittman's explosiveness and his size suggests to me that he's going to have big weeks, despite the offense around him. He's just going to be super inconsistent because you just don't know what you're getting with Carson Wentz. And like the other thing is like, the, the the Colts have incentives to bench Carson Wentz later this season. Like we haven't even got to that. Like Jacob Beeson likely is worse than Carson Wentz. So that's not great. So like the, the chart you're showing, it's, it's a lot of in-breaking routes. It's a lot of deep routes, but unlike like uh, some other receivers, they're getting the ball underneath too on slant screens, that type of stuff. And that to me is showcasing that he's like a true number one X receiver. And I think that's a, that's a win if you're drafting him, even if he is inconsistent. The point you made about the Carson Wentz trade, again, I think if he plays 75% of the snaps or 66% of the snaps, yeah, I think 75, the the third round pick becomes a second round pick. And isn't it second to first? I think it's second to first. Is it not? No, I think it's third to second. Okay. Okay. Um, it's worst case scenario for that trade right now because they're zero and three. He's playing all the snaps and he sucks. you couldn't have a worse management of that position and that that deal at this moment 
And I, I don't know how it gets fixed because again, nothing is explosive other than Naeem Hines in space, a chunk yard run early in the game from John Taylor, and then Michael Pittman finding space and zones right now. That's it yeah. for the offense. Like Paris Campbell's not there. Yeah. Like the tight ends aren't doing anything. It's dangerous and territory. Darius Leonard, their, their best probably defense or their second best defensive player. He's battling through an ankle injury. Their right tackle, one of their best players. He's hurt. Quentin Nelson hurt. Like it's everyone's hurt. So it's, it's, it's not good. Okay. Apparently I'm wrong. I thought it was a third to a second. Apparently it's a second to a first. Yeah. It's that bad, man. Who knew? Who knew? And that defense isn't playing nearly as well as it did last season too. Uh, let's jump to Jacoby Myers. Uh, we talked about the running game with Damian Harris, JJ Taylor, Brandon Bolden, so on and so forth. Let's talk about the wide receivers. We alluded to the fact, Hayden, that the best moments for Mac Jones and the Patriots offense was two-minute situations when they spread it out in 11 personnel, just one tight end on the field. And Mac Jones seemingly always has eyes yep. for Jacoby Myers, which is good. I mean, I think he's their most talented wide receiver, no matter what ADP told you this year. Now, Hayden, the difficult part in that is they have two of the top five contracts at tight end. They were going to be a 12 personnel team. And will they already look in the mirror and say, hey, we're better off with maybe what Mac did at Alabama and spreading it out and letting him dish it based on pre-snap and post-snap reads? I think that either way they go, it's good news for Jacoby Myers. I think that when you remove James White, the best checkdown option for them right now by a mile is Jacoby Myers. Like Johnny Smith right now is He's bad. He's really bad. He's fumbling the ball. He is bobbling it. He's falling over on his feet. He's missing some blocks too. Like the Johnny Smith stuff right now is really bad. And to me, Jacoby Myers against zone coverage is just dominating. He was top 10 in yards per route run versus zone coverage last year. Uh, if you look at like just even last week when they were going to zone coverage, the Saints, it was Jacoby Myers and the Saints play a lot of cover one. And that's a lot of press man coverage. And Jacoby Myers had like 14 targets or something like that. So right now through three weeks, he's the wide receiver 14 in targets. He has a 24% target rate. I think the white, the, the 24% target rate is going to go up because there is no James white check down anymore. And if they go to the spread offense, like you were saying at Alabama, it's not going to be Nelson Aguilar. It's going to be Jacoby Myers. So I think that you're in a really good spot for Jacoby Myers, especially this week. The bucks are probably going to be up on the Patriots. The bucks are missing their corners. I think that this is a week to get ahead of it and get Jacoby Myers into your starting lineups. Cause I think that everything is just kind of falling into place for Jacoby Myers to be uh, the number one target for the Patriots. We did talk about the offensive line and it's not just in the running game. It's also the right tackle losing to a safety who's blitzing off the corner. And then this was bad falling flat in his back. And look, if Trent Brown comes back, maybe that changes things because they have prioritized Trent Brown over the summer. He has a history on that team. Maybe they shift some things around. Heck, maybe they bring Dante Stark Skarnecchia back. Um, but again, the entire success vision from the summer to now in week four is rooted in the offensive line playing well. It's, it's keeping them inside of the structure that, that they want. And when that crumbles, then, uh, then Hayden, everything else does. I, I think Matt can do more than he is showing. We see that in moments. We've seen that at Al Alabama, but it's also on him to make some of those more difficult throws, you know? And yeah. He was timid in the first two weeks. We saw it a bit more in week three and not trying to write the career of a player after three weeks, but hopefully that continues to progress as we move on. They're giving him a lot in this first two weeks, but he was giving the checkdown option. I thought he was promising, even though this like did not translate at all. 
that there was a lot of cover two hole shots that Mac Jones was trying out there. Whenever it was like cover one, just man to man, he would just throw the, the the fade route down the sideline. That was like kind of the the more aggressive stuff that you're looking for Mac Jones. So maybe by the end of the season, they kind of have found an identity and then Mac Jones starts kind of, kind of piling on good passing games. So right now we should expect a pretty much broken offense um, and they're getting the Bucks who just lost. And Tom Brady, I think, uh, might throw for what, 480 yards? Do you, do you, don't you think Tom's just going to make the rookie look it's embarrassing? It's, it's, I mean, I'm, okay, over under 14 and a half rushing attempts for the Bucks this week. Yeah, it's going to, well, they're going to be up so much that they're going to backdoor into 15. Okay. I think it's going to be under because I think Tom yeah. is just going to want to pass every single time and yep. just to stick it, like just to stick it. And okay. Todd Bowles really blitz heavy. And I think that'll get JPP back like that right tackle. Like it better be Trent Brown out there next week. We, we better hope so. I mean, I'm just laughing because I can totally see 400 passing yards, five touchdowns for Tom Brady. And then Mac Jones, yeah. who I like, like who was hated during the draft process because NFL outsiders said he was going to be the number three overall selection, having like 200 yards and a touchdown in this game. Like I could see that totally too. All right, enough. <laughs> All right, let's jump to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, an offense that people doubted after two weeks, wondering if their regression was happening. Uh, Hayden, vintage Brian Dable, vintage Josh Allen. Dare we say, through three weeks, the biggest fantasy football layups of the summer, Emmanuel Sanders, and especially Cole Beasley. And what are we getting? Players who have spike weeks, players who have consistent usage, and a top five passing offense in the NFL. Emmanuel Sanders looks good on top of that. And I think that there's something to note. Like you said, it's just the usage that these Bills wide receivers have. It's mostly three wide receiver sets. And they just pass the ball all the time. And Dawson Knox hops in occasionally. But right now, the Bills are number one in fantasy usage to their wide receivers by a country mile. And that's great news for Emmanuel Sanders. 89% of the routes, both Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are top 30 uh, top 39 receivers in fantasy usage. And I don't think that we should expect anything that anything to change. So I think really just comes down to when are they going to have these spiked weeks? And I think that the trend I'm going to be paying attention to is the zone. And that's exactly what happened last week where Cole Beasley was just sitting down, catching the ball and just falling over. And then Emmanuel Sanders would go running looping routes and right behind the zone for touchdown. So uh, I think this is the little thing that we have to pay attention to. I think that the zone stuff is like really an actual uh, trend to believe in. You hunching over to get on Karen's level was like a, a really, really added part of that. Hopefully everyone, the podcast listeners uh, can go back and watch the video of that. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about with zone coverage and it's also extended plays. I mean, I think there's a big difference in Gabriel Davis, who is a talented player versus Emmanuel Sanders, who has been running these broken plays, extending them, can contort his body, can can turn, can do all the things that I think Gabriel Davis cannot. And this is why they prioritized him this summer like that has been in line and i'm i still get comments right now it's like oh as the season goes along they're going to sit the 35 year old or 33 year old emmanuel sanders a 31 year old cole beasley no they're not stop they're, they're not the this is their top three wide receivers these are their top three pass catchers stefan diggs and these other two players and you roll with it and like you said there's always a chance for two of these three or th all three of them to have a big week yeah and uh Again, when you have so much uncertainty, when you have injuries, when you have bye weeks coming up, just having players like this that are attached to Josh Allen and Brian Dayball is always a positive. 
So. Yep. I mean, yeah, both Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are wide receiver fours, and you just like put them into your lineup when you feel good about them, or they're your best bench. Op- bench to be option. honest, like if you're full point PPR, Cole Beasley can be. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Cole Beasley's Cole Beasley's wide receiver sixteen fantasy usage and half PPR. So like, yeah, I I think that he could be a wide receiver three for sure. Another pair of wide receivers. We saw that DeAndre Hopkins was hobbled last week for the Arizona Cardinals. We have seen Rondell Moore have a really strong first two weeks. Uh, this past weekend, it was Christian Kirk and it was AJ Green. Again, speaking on wanting pieces and one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. Who do you want to talk about, Kirk or AJ Green? All of them. Uh, let's start with AJ Green. He's actually leading the team in targets to. and air yards and red zone targets as well. And I think that his tape looks uh, pretty good out there. And I think that the the big winner, like he's not coming off the field. Rondell Moore, I think, is going to have a tough time cracking the starting lineup. And the reason why, and like my, my big film take from this game was the Christian Kirk usage is awesome. And he looks so much more explosive from the slot. A lot of free releases. There's even a couple plays where it's, it's a play action look for, for Kyler Murray, the linebackers dip in and then Christian Kirk just runs right down the middle. And Kyler Murray has so much touch on the ball. It's just floating right into Christian Kirk. And he has the explosiveness to really pop off. So I think that this slot role for Christian Kirk is sick and like I think like 54% of his air yards are in the middle of the field that is by far number one in the league so I think that Christian Kirk and AJ Green are like boom bust wide receiver fours and I just I don't see how Rondell Moore is going to get onto the field too often yeah wait say, say that again 17th round AJ Green did the first three games of the season has two usable weeks who would have thought uh, I'm totally there with you on Christian Kirk, by the way. And I think it really stands out that we know the defined roles for all these players. You have DeAndre Hopkins at left wide receiver for most of the snaps. You have A.J. Green at right wide receiver for most of the snaps. That's even more defined that, than we get from almost any other offense in the league because, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, better or for worse, plays his wide receivers on either side of the field. Then you have Christian Kirk sometimes lining up outside DeAndre Hopkins motioning in yeah, and then getting him on the move. And then you're seeing these with these whip routes or these slants or these crossers. Yep. And he is thriving in that slot role right now. And so even if like DeAndre Hopkins misses a game, I don't think that they like go and move Christian Kirk again to get like Rondo Moore on the field. Like who knows what happens in that scenario, but why move your players away from their best position? Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. And so with Christian Kirk playing so well, this was always the discussion that we had with Rondell Moore last week when people saw, you know, a 30-point game on their bench. We have to start him. He's still playing 30 to 40% of the snaps. He's still a low A dot player. He's awesome with the ball in his hands. He can make plays happen on broken plays like you got in week two, but he has not done anything to eclipse Christian Kirk. And that is the only role that he is going to eclipse because yeah. he's never going to be an outside receiver at least at least this season. 60% of Rondell Moore's targets this year are on screens. And that doesn't include some of the jet sweeps and stuff. So R- Rondell Moore, I think, is going to develop into a an every down player. Probably yeah. like next year, though. I, I just don't – I think that A.J. Green and Christian Kirk are playing too well. I think like the other conversation we have to have we – ha- we're not even talking about DeAndre Hopkins. Like at what point is 18% targets, 20% air yards? Like – we have to get kind of worried. Like we drafted this dude in the second round and Christian Kirk looks way better than we imagined. I think that AJ green looks way better than we imagined. So like, it's just hard when there's that many good wide receivers out in the route 
it's hard to be a 30% target share guy. Like it's so much easier for Justin Jefferson to do that because right. it's just him Thielen, and, and Conklin, you know, right. We, we were buying Deandre Hopkins somewhat at his peak. And again, I think this is a conversation we need to keep having because last year, what it was 160 targets that he received. That was with Christian Kirk playing as an outside player. That was without yeah, AJ play. green. That was without Rondale Moore. Right. So like this was without all of those pieces. Now I do think it helps nuke that you see AJ Brown struggling as a round two wide receiver. You see Calvin Ridley struggling as a fringe round one round two player. Right. So like he's not the only one in that zone that's struggling yeah. at the moment, but I'm with you. And what if this injury continues to linger? And one final thing on Rondale, like I do believe his role can grow as we go along, but I also think Cliff is kind of a coach that says, Oh, if it's not broke, let's not fix it. You yeah. know? And like, this yeah. is working right now. And, and Kyler's elevating that. And Ronnie Hudson's elevating it. It's uh, like we said, it's really, really fun to watch. Yeah. And Kyler's just an absolute freak out there He's with so all these throws. So yeah, it's, it's, it's breaking cool. all the molds, doing everything, having to work a negative game script last week. It was like 19 to 10. Then you put up 21 straight points. Yeah. Fun watch. Fun watch. Okay. Let's talk about Henry Ruggs. Uh, Henry Ruggs loved him heading into his rookie season. Poor usage. Hayden, developing game here, though, from Henry Ruggs. Like, not just a straight line burner. Week two, we saw some manufactured touches. Then in week three, we saw some arms extended, away from frame, big body catches along the yep. sideline. Player with first-round talent. And we're starting to see it develop here with Derek Carr, who, I might add, is sixth in the NFL right now in 20-plus yard target attempts. Yep in terms of his percentage of throws. That is in comparison to in 2018, 33rd in the NFL. 2019, 30th in the NFL. 21st in 2020. And then now, once again, I'll repeat it. Sixth in the NFL in attempting deep throws. He's also changing his game. And what's so crazy about that, that's a rate stat. That's just percentage of his throws. The Raiders right now are fourth in neutral pass. So it's not just the percentage of throws. It's also the volume of throws. Like the Raiders are just passing the ball more often. To me, like the, the, it, was a t- it was a test against the Dolphins. Could he win in man coverage? Because the first couple of things were a lot of gadget stuff. That's all good. And then I think that he was winning a couple couple reps against man coverage too. So I think that Ryan Edwards hasn't shown me anything. So I think that Henry Ruggs, it's going to be obviously very volatile, um, especially when Josh Jacobs does get back. But I think that you're seeing the progress that you need to see for Henry Ruggs to at least have him in that flex territory. So I think it's going to be kind of matchup de- dependent. He's definitely going to have some some low weeks, but I think that he's getting the gadget stuff in addition to the downfield stuff. And I think that a couple of these plays is just like, that's just like the leap that he needed to make. And he just looks like he's high pointing the p- ball a little bit more. He's playing a little bit more physical. And I think that's just like the the the, the overall skill set of like a first ta- first round type of talent. Yeah, you know how I felt about Derek Carr for years. And I don't think, again, I was wrong based on 2018, 2019, that he was a it's bit changed. of vanilla soft serve in terms of the quarterback position. What do you think has changed about him? Is it just his willingness now, his trust in the scheme? Like, that's a significant jump. We don't see that very often for players in their 30s to go from the least – percentage of his snaps of his throws being downfield targets to now being top six in the NFL. 
I would say he is he like breaking out of the pocket more. Like he seems like more willing to just get out of structure and then throw the ball downfield. So I, I don't know if it was just like there was a little more pressure that this is like his last chance to have a starting locked in job for the Raiders, or if if it's just that the offensive line is looking bad and Derek Carr is willing to break out of the pocket and he has a little more trust in Henry Ruggs than he did in like the Nelson Aguilar's. I can't even forget like or remember who we had like in, in 2019. It could not have been. It was like Tyrell Williams. Uh, like I think that now that he has Henry Ruggs, he's willing and to Darren pull the trigger. Waller. And then Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are playing so well underneath. Yeah. Like Hunter Renfro is a great role player. I kind of underestimated his ability. When you have those two underneath guys, it's hard to cover Henry Ruggs on top of that. So maybe there's just like some schematic things. And, Hen- and John Gruden now has like the the wide receiver pieces that kind of mix together. And like last year was just kind of like the first step where instead of now it's Henry Ruggs instead of Nelson Aguilar. And obviously Henry Ruggs ceiling is much higher than Nelson Aguilar's. Yeah, uh, I have Jamar Chase and Brandon Ayuk's names written Let's down. Do you want to talk about them at all before we move yeah. on to tight ends and get out of here? Yeah, Jamar Chase, what do you have for me? So this Bengals team, Hayden, I don't know how much it has changed from like a mentality standpoint because like in week one, obviously they won. But in week two, I, I think that that's you know, their identity too of, hey, Joe Burrow, snap it, catch it throw it. I don't trust you. If I'm Zach Taylor, like the offensive line. And then as well as Joe Burrow, like the mobility is not exactly there. And he's like still taking sacks at a very high level when it comes down to pressure. But Hayden, Jamar Chase is balling on like very, very few opportunities. Cause like when I look at his route tree, they're all white, meaning he's all targeted on his routes and they're all down the field. They're all for big yeah. plays and they're basically all for touchdowns. Yeah. It's it's actually insane. Only Tyler Lockett is higher in fantasy points above expectation. Just like put that into perspective. He's wide receiver 58 in fantasy usage and then the wide receiver seven in actual scoring. So yes, some of that is because Jamar Chase is a baller. Like that one route on the sideline where he created some separation late into the route and then stuck his hands out for a long touchdown. Awesome. There is definitely a component here where he's getting very lucky. Like one of those touchdowns, a 50 yard touchdown, I think against the bears, the two uh, defensive backs ran into each other. They fell down. So like, obviously like he won off the line of scrimmage and he earned that target downfield and downfield targets are more valuable. Some of this, like at, at the end of the day, like you don't have three 30 plus yard touchdowns if you're not getting a little bit lucky here. So I wouldn't get too carried away, but like just the fact that he's doing this in an offense that is pretty stagnant. Otherwise I think is like right. obviously super bullish for his potential, like short-term and long-term. Yeah. So there's like two opposite ends here. Like one, did people overreact to his drops during well, the yeah. season? Yes. Two, could the overreaction be, Hey, he's what wide receiver seven right now. Could he stay? Could he stick and stay as like a top 12 wide receiver based on like, how the Bengals are developing their offense. I'd say no way. I'd say, I'd say no way. Like right now the Bengals are still bottom five neutral pass rate and T Higgins has been out and T Higgins in the first two weeks had a higher target share and all that stuff than Jamar chase. And I think that they're getting Joe Mixon involved a lot because first of all, they're paying him a ton of money and he looks really good running between the tackles right now. And I think that offensive line coach change where the one coach is now coaching at Texas state. I think that's another reason for them to be a little lower and the the neutral pass rate too. So I, I think that Jamar chase is a, Great player, great prospect, all that stuff. You've got to be positive. He's not going to be a top 12 guy. The offense is just not built for that. Right. And we say that, but then they also get the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday night football, you know? Yeah. So like this, this is going to continue probably for another week. So it's, yeah. 
it's it's an interesting that he's second in terms of his difference between projected points and actual points is uh is why good news okay that's good news that is good news let's talk about Brennan Ayuk because also Hayden on finally on Chase like the uses might just get better and then the production sticks you know or like drops a little bit but it's like yeah this side shifts this way this side and maybe it meets somewhere in the middle well even in that now, was yeah. an awful yeah awful analogy okay uh Brennan Ayuk so Brandon Ayuk is uh, back on the field, um, made some critical catches at points there for the 49ers. I have not rewatched this game, but Hayden, this offense has given me headaches. I mean, I'm so sick of Jimmy Garoppolo, but in order for this team to be successful and not just throw 15 screens per game, it's going to have to be successful with Debo Samuel, and they're going to have to get Brandon Ayuk involved. And they got him involved. He had 13.4 expected half PPR points in week three, season high, 92% routes. And Trent Sherfield played like 4% or something like that. So Brandon Ayuk's a starter again. I think that you should feel way more comfortable in week four if you need to start Brandon Ayuk in week four. I say go for it. I just don't think we should expect a Trent Sherfield thing to happen again. So I think that the hamstring stuff, whatever happened in practices, all behind him, he's now in the role that you drafted him initially the problem is just like okay how much volume could go around here Debo Samuel looks really good George Kittle is still looks awesome whenever he's getting the targets and I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo could support three pass catchers right. with this volume so something's got to give I don't think that the like top 24 Brandon Ayuk games is going to be super hit and miss just because he has to be so efficient in this offense and they're going to be bottom five in pass attempts most weeks this might not you know, be accurate when looking at actual targets or, or the box scores, but whenever my eyes show me that like Jimmy misses three or four open outside the numbers targets or downfield throws that Kyle Shanahan, you know, manufactures for him early in games, Kyle's like, I'm sick of you. And I'm just going to, you know, put on the training wheels, take control, get on the joystick for the rest of this contest. And we're going to grind out this win. Like that's what happened in week two against the Eagles. That's what happened with a couple of those intermediate and over the middle throws against what the Packers in, in week three. So it's kind of in some ways, and maybe this is just a narrative up to Jimmy to hit those passes early on in games for Brandon Ayuk to have like a top, top ceiling chance, but the talent's always been there. And I think he even said it like, Hey, I needed to do the dirty work, the, the tough jobs, to stay on the field and I'm doing that now. So like the doghouse narrative, it looks like that was absolutely the case. Yeah, I think it was a hamstring and doghouse. And I, I think that Brandon Ayuk was winning with athleticism last year. And eventually you got to become more well-rounded, especially if you're trying to compete with targets against George Kittle. You know, like you have to be really good uh, or the ball is going to George Kittle. All right, Titans time. By the way, all of you, Logan, Alex, Scampers, Emil, Airman, thanks for being here as always. Like and subscribe. If you're here, you know that we just once again launched Best Ball Drafts, Best Ball Resurrection. There it is. Week six to week 14. If your teams suck right now, if they're great right now, go and put 10 bucks in. Go and draft. It's all fast drafts and it's $100,000 in prizes and you get a free 10 bucks for first depositors. Use promo code the show. And to the 81% of you that are watching this, that are not subscribed, you fools, smash that subscribe button down below. I'm getting better at this promo. Hey, all right. Yeah, you're you're turning it on. I'm, I'm, I've been watching our Miz content. Okay. All right. 
Let's uh, talk about Kyle Pitts. Hayden, it's so frustrating to watch the Atlanta Falcons. Like, I understand it from a Atlanta fan perspective where you have a new play caller coming in that saved Ryan Tannehill's career that was extremely efficient inside the 20-yard line in the red zone. And now you have Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis, and Matt Ryan, and it's not working. But Hayden, we know that Kyle Pitts was, you know, the tight end four, around a fourth or a fifth round selection. He has been awful in terms of usage. I go in and I watch. There's, you know, plays inside the 10-yard line. He's not even on the field. Like, what the hell is going on? But somehow, Hayden, he's still, depending on what your scoring is, usable in fantasy football lineups. And that just speaks to the position at the moment. I'm still not going to overreact. 82%. I am. How are you not overreacting? I'll tell you why. Uh, Tight end seven fantasy usage. He is top 10 in air yards and targets at the position. He's only in line on 30% of his routes. And he's running around on 82% of the dropbacks. Now, I am with you. I just watched that game. And we have to talk about this. There was a third and two, uh, like late in the game, in like this in the red zone. They pick up the first down. Kyle Pitts was in on that play. Then they sub him out when it's first and goal. They line up this fullback in the slot. He runs an outbreaking route. And then they have Lee Smith, who is like a 280-pound tight end that's actually a sixth lineman, basically. That's how he was used in Buffalo. He's the one that's on the field, and he runs the mesh route with Calvin Ridley. Meanwhile, Kyle Pitts is just like sitting on the sideline next to Arthur Smith. I could not believe like the mesh route. Kyle Pitts in in. Uh, Calvin really on a mesh route in the red zone. That sounds awesome to me. And then they put in freaking Lee Smith. So I get it. It's very tilting, but I think that Kyle Pitts, it's just, he's still out there for most of the time compared to the rest of the tight ends. And he still is flashing to me on tape. And I think that Arthur Smith's going to figure this out a little bit more. Like there's just no way that this continues just because like it can't, it literally cannot get worse. It's like your AJ green take. It physically cannot get worse than how the Falcons look right now. And maybe it's just taking a couple weeks for Arthur Smith to be a head coach and figure out all the game day stuff to figure this out. So I, I, I refuse to believe that this is getting any worse, getting any worse. And Kyle Pitts is too good. I don't want to panic too much. I think on their game winning drive too, like that's when he got both of his catches or two of his catches. And like, yes. that's how he saved his day. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you draw up a game plan when it's second and goal inside of two minutes left in the first half. Calvin Ridley's your only outside wide receiver. There's a fullback and two other tight ends in the game, and Cal Pitts is even on the field. And then it's an ISO route to Calvin Ridley on the outside, and that's it. A few galaxy brain thoughts here, Hayden. One, what if Julio Jones in February said, you know what? I was running wind sprints down the field last year. I'm going to be a late career diva. I know that Matt Ryan sucks now. And I'm going to ask for a trade. There's potential there. I know that like Mike Vrabel is not the biggest fan of Julio Jones right now. But what if Julio Jones saw this coming? That like, wow, the usage, the game plans, creating, you know, positive scenarios for Cal Pitts and Calvin Ridley is an Arthur Smith problem. It's also a Matt Ryan problem getting him the football at the moment. Like Matt Ryan sucks at the moment. And I don't know if that's going to improve behind this offensive line moving forward. Yeah, I'm more worried about the Matt Ryan and the Arthur Smith. Like Ar- Arthur Smith can turn things around. The the fact that Matt Ryan has a 4.3 A dot 
I mean, that is that is insane, quite frankly. And and I, I was looking at this in clean pockets too, where it's not not just like an offensive line issue. Like even in clean pockets, it's really really low. So I'm I've got some concerns with Matt Ryan. There was a couple of throws that he made in this game that were wobbling in the air and had a lot of hang time on them. So um, I'm more concerned about the, the Matt Ryan than like the Arthur Smith thing long-term. This is a Mike Davis show. You and I think that if the Falcons were competent, Mike Davis would be putting up fantasy points because he's still running well. Hey, the most explosive player on the Falcons right now is Cordero Patterson. It is like this is what Arthur Smith is having to do is to manufacture touches and get Cordero Patterson, the ball in his hands because that's the only way that they can create big plays at the moment. Yeah. It, it, We're in it's week true. four. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's awful. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you. Like Arthur Smith has too much good on his resume to get to a point where it's like a one year and that's it and it doesn't work out. But it's not like there are other pieces that are making up for him at the moment. And the offensive line and Matt Ryan aren't like they're just not generating big plays unless it's CPAT making things happen in space. It's it's wild. It is wild stuff. Uh, real quick, there are some people in the chat asking about Calvin Ridley. Wide receiver five fantasy usage. He's got a 50% air yards share on the Falcons. It's just they're not throwing the ball deep at all right now. So, I mean, you have to assume that, like, they're going to throw the ball deeper. Like, like they have to. Like, it literally cannot get worse. It's literally A.J. Green all over again. So, it's going to be hard for Calvin Ridley to be a top five fantasy receiver in this offense. But I don't think that he's going to be the wide receiver 36 the entire year like he like. Uh, he has been the first three weeks. Like the usage is still there and the game scripts are for sure going to be there that he's going to have bigger weeks coming up soon. And, and Hayden, the Mike Davis usage is there too. Like he's what top five or six and targets at, at the position and he's still it's running true. well between the tackles. The only issue right now, well, there's multiple on the Falcons, but with Mike Davis is they're using up his lone broken tackle for every single run behind the line of scrimmage rather than getting him to the second level and allowing him to beat, you know, defensive backs or, or, or linebackers to create yardage. I, my eyes are telling me Mike Davis is still running well. He is still creating yards. There are still some chunk gains of like eight to 10 to 12, but the consistency of this team, the game scripts that they have right now are not allowing him to blossom. I refuse to say he's looking good because the people do not want to hear this. Josh. Like, I'm not going to be the guy. I'm not going to say it, even though I believe it. I, I'm not going to say Hayden, it. I think you and I have have created enough goodwill that we can stick to our guns on some of these players and say, like, maybe it happens, or at least it could have happened if they were in a better situation. RB12 fantasy usage, he's a buy low. You heard it from me. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, a couple names. Noah Fant. Mike Kosicki, Tyler Conklin, Jonu Smith. I guess the name that stands out to me there is Mike Kosicki because I think for as long as Jacoby Brissett is playing, it seems like Mike Kosicki is going to be more involved in that offense. 78% routes, tied in for targets. He has more usage the last two weeks than he did in the first week. Um, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to have a good reason why that's the case. Um, but he's tight end nine in fantasy usage right now. I will say that Will Fuller coming back, like, I think that he's going to earn more targets. Um, and like the Jalen Waddle, like 4.5 ADOT, like has to change. And this offense still feels really, really weak to me. And there's a lot of mouse to feed. So um, I still think he's just like a tight end too. He's too good at the game to not have some weekly upside. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be buying like tight end one resurgence again for Mike Kosicki. All right. Any other names for you want to talk about before we get out of here? 
Yeah, Tyler Conklin, we have to. Tight end 11 fantasy usage to the tight end nine through three weeks. There was a play one-on-one against Jamal Adams on a, a, like a drag route and just smoked him. Um, he's really athletic, and they're giving him some some targets. And I think there is room for someone like Tyler Conklin to have some weeks in this offense. Because right now, like let's be honest, Kirk Cousin looks awesome out there. Like He is making a ton of good throws. So I think that Tyler Conklin is going to be um, not like this year's Mike – or uh, Logan Thomas because they're not used like that. But I do think Tyler Conklin could go from like tight end three in best ball drafts to being like the tight end 11, tight end 12 overall this year. All right. That's going to do it again. Number of things, go play, go draft best ball resurrection. We also have pick them up already for Thursday night football. Some Trevor Lawrence stuff, James Robinson, after what he did last week, we talked about him 67 and a half over under for his total yards in this game. Got a bunch of Bengals on there with Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase. Tyler Boyd is there. Again, a free $10 for all first depositors. Use promo code the show. Skip the guacamole. Put it into underdog. Go ahead. Josh Gordon, what's your take? I'm I'm in off the waiver wire. I'm in. The, the rest of the Chiefs offense is desperate behind him. I'm in for a little sprinkle. You're out. I'm so out. I'm he this much in. Last time he played. I'm no. this much in. Also, uh, Cornell Powell being drafted over AJ Green. Give me a break, all of you. Brashad Perryman, give me a break, you ageists. All right, let's get out of here. Alex, Lyndon, JJ, thanks for being here. To all of you, especially to you, Hayden Winks, up the villa. Talk to you all soon. We'll be back here on Thursday, game-by-game game preview show. Sunday, start-sit pregame show. Sunday night, instant reactions. Oh, what a time to be alive. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See you.